Hello, I'm Chris. I work at the wine cellar on Peel Road, the island's best independent stockists of wines and spirits and beers and all sorts of wonderful things. We're down here for a good reason because this is the first in our little series of podcasts on, unbelievably, the subject of wine. Something close to your heart? Yes, uh, it's certainly something over the past decade and a bit that has I've grown very fond of and um, love to share knowledge with people about, to be honest. I think the thing is there are as many wines as there are people, aren't there? I think it's one of these things that, you know, you try a wine and you think it might not be for you, but there's, there's always going to be a wine somewhere that's really going to tickle your palate. Absolutely. Um, I mean, day to day, we get questions from, from customers and you know, you'll try to advise as much as possible, um, but quite often you'll hear things like, I don't drink red wine or I don't drink white wine. No, that's quite common, isn't it? Yeah. Massively common. Um, and I always say to people, you know, that's not the case. You just haven't found the right one for you yet. And there's thousands of different types. And the best thing about wine is it's, it's an organic product, really. So it's forever changing. It's forever evolving. Um, you know, you'll you'll have a glass of wine one night, you'll go back to the same wine the next night, and it'll taste different. And there's no drinks or anything I can think of that's quite like that, unique. And I think I can uh, vouch for your experience on that one because I've tried, and again, we might do something about orange wine at a, at a future. If people think, orange wine? What the hell are you talking about? There is orange wine. And uh, I tried it a few times, and I have to, I have to be honest, I thought, Ooh, this isn't for me. And then we were chatting one time and he said, have you tried this orange wine? And I can't remember, was it, is it Bulgarian or? Ah, the Romanian. Romanian. Yeah, Solera. Yeah. yeah. And you said, have you tried this? This actually is quite, you know, it's an orange wine, but it's a bit different. You might like this. And you know what? Yeah, I've had several bottles of it. I don't know whether I've sold my wife on it yet, but I've actually, so far, it's the only orange wine I've had, which I think actually I really enjoy that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I sell it all the time to people. Um, there's, there's obviously a growing trend these days for people want to come away from the, the, the old Pinot Grigios and Sauvignons and the stuff we all know. Um, lockdown certainly helped with that. People got very uh, interested in trying new things. And little wines like, you know, the, that little orange wine are, are brilliant for that kind of thing. It really, again, uh, shows just how big the wine world is and how different it can be as well and approachable at the same time. Right. Well, without further ado, it is the wine cellar. We do have some uh, some glasses. What have you got for us today? Right. I can see you're a bit thirsty there. Um, <laughs> it's actually wine I've gone and uh, I'm not going to say I sourced myself from Italy, but I was very kindly taken on a, a trip with one of our wonderful suppliers um, to northern Italy, um, to the, the Gavi area. Uh, so in Piedmont in, in northwest Italy. And we've actually listed this wine on the back of that trip uh, because I had such a great time there. Um, for anyone who has uh, ever had the pleasure of going to Gavi um, or trying the wine, um, if you haven't tried the wine, come and try it with us. They are wonderful uh, mineral, crisp, dry whites, uh, which I quite often liken to sort of Italy's answer to Chablis, if you will. Um, so the particular one I've got here, it's uh, from... Prodotori del Gavi, so they are a, a cooperative within Gavi itself. Uh, they deal with about 80 different growers 
uh, of their grapes. So some are quite large growers who will have hectares and hectares of, of vines. Some who literally only have a few vines in their backyard uh, and they, they pass them on to these guys and they will make wonderful wine out of it. So the one we've got today is a Miele 951. Um, I would say that in Italian, however, my <laughs> Italian is awful. Oh, mine uh, the, the name of the wine actually comes uh, from the fort of Gabby, the fortress of Gabby, which sits high on sort of a cliff above the rest of the town. Uh, it was built in 951 AD and uh, has, has frequently changed hands between the French and the Italians over the years. Um, but uh, to give you a bit more of a sort of geographical relation, think halfway between Milan and Genoa on the coast, and there you are in Gabby. Yeah, I'll, let me pour some of this for you. Absolutely, Howard, let's go for it. Yeah, I'm salivating. I must admit, I am as well. It looks, uh, looks lovely coming out of the glass. Just quickly there, people will have heard if you've opened that, yes. the, the, the sharp eared will have heard it wasn't a cork. It was not, no. Um, now, when I first started in the wine industry, probably ooh, 10 or 12 years ago now, I was always of the opinion, and I didn't know much at the time, but I was always of the opinion that wines under a cork closure are the best. That's not true. That is not true. Essentially, wine under cork is, is always going to be good for the most part, and certainly good for aging. You need to age it on its side and keep the cork nice and wet. However, just because a wine is under screw cap doesn't make it any less superior. It's actually, I find it as a, a better quality kind of mark because it means there's a lot less chance of your wine being corked or of having had oxygen get to it or spoiling or anything like that. The only issue with screw cap at the moment, and it's all to do with the Ukraine actually, um, with what's going on there, unfortunately. And not many people will realize this, but one of the largest suppliers of, of screw cap or Stelvin closures, as we call them, uh, was actually in the Ukraine. Most of the sort of aluminium and stuff came from there. Because of what's going on, a lot of producers using screw caps have had to source their screw cap closures from elsewhere, and they're just not quite up to scratch. So there are one or two little issues trickling through. Rest assured, though, we, we are keeping on top of it at the wine cellar, as always, um, and we'll always pick these things up. And as always, if ever you buy anything from us, and it seems to be dodgy in any way, just bring it back, we'll swap it over, we'll get you sorted. No worries about that. But yes, screw caps, not a bad thing. They're a good thing. Easy access. Good thing. We're liking that. And there's, yeah, easy access. And there's a, a nice little snippet for you. We might we might possibly, who knows, at a future date, come back and, and explore that whole thing of cork versus stelvin closures as well. But yeah, there's an, a, a nice, uh, I didn't know that story before. Right. Well, here we go. We've got the uh, glass there. So it's this thing about tasting, isn't it? When you look at it? So you're looking at the colour first? Yeah. So um, we, we can loosely follow uh, what we call the systematic approach to tasting. Now, whenever I do tasting with people, I kind of do my simplified um, lazy man version, if you will, because I don't want to get too, too in depth. I want to keep people's attention. And I find this is the way I taste wine. This is the way I, I end up tasting everything like this, to be honest, from my morning coffee to my mouthwash. It's a, it's a bit annoying at times, um, but basically we're going to focus on three senses. So the first one being our sense, uh, well, our sight, really. So we're looking at the wine. Now, what we want to look at here is, firstly, for colour and clarity. Now, colour, 
will normally give you a good indication as to uh, the grape variety used um, or if there's any uh, influence of oak, if the wine's been aged in oak or, or barrel fermented, something like that. Um, we're also looking for the clarity. So, I mean, you can see there, Howard, that's that's really nice and, and clear, oh, nice, nice sort of lemony colour to it. Um, it's lemony strawberry colour, very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And no bits and no haziness or anything like that. Um, I know this this wine has been um, fined, so they, they've had all the any solid parts taken out of it. Um, so if this, there was any bits in this, I'd know probably not a good idea to drink it. But it all looks good to me, so I'm happy with that. And if it helps, quite often I hold the glass up against a white piece of paper, and that just really helps with the clarity of it. Um, but it looks good to drink to me. It is. It looks really. It is very, very attractive in the glass. It has to be said. Nicely chilled down. Really pretty. Very clear. Very like I said, straw lemon. And uh, again, just thinking about if we're heading towards nose, I can actually sort of smell it without getting my nose anywhere near the glass. Yeah. Well, that's it already opening up for us, um, which is brilliant. Wine just wants to give. It's such a wonderful thing. So we'll move on to that sense of smell now that we're, we're getting ready for it. Um, you'll have seen yourself included, Howard the old uh, swizzle in a glass. Now it's not just a pretentious thing we're doing there, it's actually really important in that, um, for, to do that. And what we're doing is basically re releasing little molecules of aroma and flavor and all that wonderful stuff um, out into the glass. Now this is why we've got these lovely little tapered glasses and I thoroughly recommend um, having a tapered glass for, for any wine you do. The reason for it is, is we want all of those aromas to concentrate in the glass and not escape before we've been able to smell it. So I always give it a nice little twist uh, and I'd recommend holding the glass from the bottom. There's a reason wine glasses have stems so that you're not holding the glass and either heating up or, you know, um, sort of messing with the wine with, yeah. with the temperature of your hands. Um, so once we've given it a little twist like that, we want to take a nice big sniff. Nice little good this thing. Mm. And just um, quite often I end up closing my eyes for that and just having to think, you know, what kind of uh, smells am I getting from there? Is there any particular fruits I can pick out or anything else like that? I mean, this is Gabby, um, so I have a very good idea of what it's going to be like, never mind the fact that I tasted it a, f a few uh, months ago. But it's very classically sort of bit of lemon, nice citrus going on there. I can almost smell something almost a bit like wet flint or mm. wet wet rocks there's definitely a uh, i said another snuffy here yeah there's definitely a sort of minerally element going on there's definitely a sort of uh, a lemony note the other one i sort of get is a something that's a bit sort of pear-y something like sort of like a pear or something like that so one of those sort of white fruits of some kind of white sort of stone fruit i would agree with that definitely Absolutely, definitely in there. Um, although, I should also say it's very subjective. You know, what, what I may smell, you may not smell. I may smell, you know, candied walnuts, you, you may not. But for this particular wine, I'd agree with you there, definitely. Um, in, in general, nice and fresh, yeah. nice and clean, smells very appetizing, definitely. So, we've smelt it, we've looked at it. Now for the most important part. Um, which is going to be quite hard to talk you through while I've got one in my mouth. The taste. So our third uh, sense that we're going to use, our sense of taste. Now, the way I tend to do it is I will take roughly about a teaspoon sized amount into my mouth and I will 
treat it a bit like my morning mouthwash, roll it all around my, my cheeks, around my gums, um, all over the tongue as well. I'll always suck in a little bit of air as well. So I'll try and do that now, uh, just so you get an idea of the sound. Mm. Oh, lovely. So I was sucking in a little bit of air there and rolling it around my mouth again. The reason I'm doing that, again, is to oxygenate the wine. If you don't oxygenate, you're not going to get much coming from it. It's all about shedding molecules and getting that flavour and aroma out. I'm just going to have a slip of this as well because um, I've been watching Chris do it uh, very well. And uh, yeah, it is, it, it sort of shouts out clean, fresh, appetising, something you could probably enjoy on its own. Um, we will just mention food in a moment. We might do something more on food and wine, obviously, in, in a future podcast. That's another, oh, you could fill loads of podcasts just on that, couldn't you? Let's have a try this anyway. Mmm. Yeah, it is really nice. I mean, again, I have had Gabi before, so you sort of vaguely know what to expect. I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I know I like Gavi. And again, yeah, I could happily drink that on its own. But you could have it with, obviously, people always thinking of matching their foods with their wines. And, uh, you know, when I grew up again, right, just as you were saying, you still have people saying, I don't drink red or drink, don't drink white. It always used to be a case of, oh, fish and chicken, white, pork and beef and whatever, red. Yeah, um, that was always sort of uh, the, the perceived kind of thing. And to be fair, it's not a bad rule to work to. I was just doing some training with an account um, just before this, actually, and on food and wine pairings. And it does get a bit more difficult for kind of British dishes because obviously we don't, or certainly traditionally didn't have too much of a wine um, sort of industry. That's obviously changing now. But certainly when it comes to European wines, uh, the easiest thing I can say is if you're having, you know, an Italian dish, say uh, a nice pasta and a tomato sauce, have a wine from a, a similar place as that recipe comes from. It kind of goes hand in hand, uh, really. Um, but again, you don't have to stick to the traditional, you know, have white with fish or anything like that. Reds can go with fish. There are some wonderful lighter reds. Um, there's, there's a South African Sanso that I've got in the shop there uh, that I absolutely love, chilled down for sort of 20, 30 minutes in the fridge. And it's absolutely beautiful with a nice bit of halibut or something like that. It works really well, particularly with those, those you know, those meatier Meaty fishes fish, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. A chilled red works really nicely. And for anyone who's been on holiday to Spain, you'll see quite a lot of their young riocas and young red wines, they keep in the fridge. Um, and those can be absolutely wonderful with lighter dishes, you know, that normally you'd think you have to have a white with. Not the case. Um, again, at the end of the day, it's all subjective. If you enjoy drinking your Malbec with, I don't know, mac and cheese. <laughs> go for it. Go for it, absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, there, there's, there's no right or wrong to it, to be honest. I think, I think there's a lot of pressure put on people to get it right. But at the end of the day, if you like what you're drinking and you like that food with it, and it's palatable for you, brilliant, superb. It's very easy to get bogged down with your wine pairings. Yeah. But don't worry, because the wine cellar are here to help anyway. Um, <laughs> and I will happily always pair stuff as long as I get some of your leftovers. <laughs> That's a good recommendation. And they're always very helpful, it's Chris. And the boys and girls always down here, always happy to help out if you haven't got any idea, or if you're just perhaps throwing a party, you want something in particular, or you don't have any clue, and you think, well, what could we do with this? 
And again, I mean, for something like this, I would more than happily just drink this on its own, just as a glass Absolutely. of wine on its own, without a doubt. One thing I was going to say, seeing we are drinking Garvey, people might have seen Garvey, and then they might have seen Garvey de Garvey. Yes. So, the wine we have here is actually a Garvey de Garvey, or to give it its full name, Garvey del Commune de Garvey. Now, um, a lot of European places are very much more... Uh, what's more important is the place the wine comes from rather than the grape variety. Now, there's lots of laws and stuff around this, but let's use Gavi as an example. So, for any Gavi wines, firstly, the grapes have to come from within that Gavi region. Within Gavi, you've got several areas, but the most important area is Gavi de Gavi. Now, this is all the area just surrounding the township um, of Gavi itself. So, Gavi's the little sort of local kind of capital of the area, if you will. So the, the best grapes, um, and the only grape variety permitted in Gavi, I should say, is a grape called Cortesi. Now, the, the only grapes that can go into Gavi de Gavi are grapes that are grown within the township of Gavi. The reason for this is because the township has slightly different soils to the surrounding area. Um, also, the sort of elevation of it and so on. It's a much hillier um, sort of around the township. And the soils are quite white when you look at them. Uh, there's a lot of limestone in there. Um, and, and you'll see this in places like Champagne uh, and in Chablis in Burgundy as well. Um, now, those soils are really important because limestone soils full of, you know, millions of years old fossils um, and all these, you know, you can almost taste them. I mean, we touched on it with the nose and, and the palate of the wine. There's definitely some minerality. That minerality, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I quite often describe it as like that, that distinct smell you get from wet stones. So this is Gavi de Gavi. So all the grapes have come from within that small area around the township. Now, when we were on this trip, um, not only did we visit numerous sort of uh, plots of vines in the township, but we also went outside of the township um, to the rest of the Gavi area, if you will. And there's a distinct difference between not only the kind of elevation of the place, um, so you're kind of on the tops of all the hills on, on these big plains, really, um, and the soils are red. So a lot more iron in them, um, more fertile soils, really. You know, great grapevines love to struggle, really. So there's a big difference between a Gavi to Gavi. You should expect that to be much more mineral um, and much more kind of poised and to the point, whereas in general terms, a Gavi, just a standalone Gavi, which will be made from those grapes that are on those red soils and so on and so forth, quite often you find they have um, certainly less of that minerality, and I find them to be almost a bit fatter, if you, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah, so yeah. they've, they've um, I'm not going to say flabby, uh, although that is a, a word I use a lot with some wines, um, but certainly they, they are that little bit more opulent, show a bit more fruit, and, and less of that kind of clean, linear sort yeah, of, style. Linear sort of style. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Um, but to, I mean, if if you haven't been, I mean, I'd never been before. I can thoroughly recommend going to Gavi. It's a beautiful place. It it wasn't uh, kind of what I expected of Italy from my previous trips to places like Naples and so on and so forth. It's not that kind of mad, crazy stuff. It's so chilled out, calm, relaxed. You know, in the summers, when I was there, it was about 36 degrees, something like that, and that was pretty hot for there. But in the winters, they get down to minus 20, minus 30 with wow. wind chill. 
um, and, and our, our guide, um, Roberto Fossili, lovely bloke, um, he was showing me all pictures of, of the winter and stuff, and there, there was literally like 10 foot high snowdrifts and stuff. And all the architecture and everything is very alpine around there. Doesn't look, you know, what you expect of Italian sort of architecture. Um, but yeah, thoroughly recommend um, go check out Gabby, or if you can't, come see me and drink Gabby instead. Uh, <laughs> because it gives you a real kind of sense of place with it as well. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And. Uh I couldn't, yeah, I'll second that. I must admit, just try the Gavi if you haven't tried it before. Get a taste of it, then you could go and see it. And, of course, uh, that brings us on to exactly that. And uh, you've heard enough of Chris and I chatting about it, so we've had uh, some interesting insights into uh, the Gavi itself, which we're sampling today. And I have to say it's... Uh, mm. It is very nice. If you haven't tried it before, I recommend it. Interesting thoughts on that. A little bit about the Stelvin closure. A bit on tasting itself. Of course, what you want to do is come and try it yourself and an ideal opportunity to do this is coming up very quickly here at the wine cellar. Yes, so um, as is, is norm, normal for us, we have our October tastings coming up, um, which are, for anyone who's not been before, they are utterly brilliant, whether you're a novice or you, know, you really know your stuff. Um, the dates for those are going to be the 7th of October, so it's Friday night, the 21st of October, and then the next one after that will be the 4th of November. Now, there's tickets available for all of these. It's £30 per person. Um, however, what you get for that is, obviously, entrance to the tasting. We will have six suppliers for each tasting coming over. So we'll be showing between sort of 16, 70 odd wines. Um, and it's a right good mix between pretty much every wine producing country you can think of, uh, from classics to off the wall stuff, to sparkling, white, red, rose, oh, I think my voice is breaking. Um, <laughs> yeah, even, you know, we get some dessert wines, ports, and occasionally throw the odd spirit in there as well, just for just for good fun. But we also have our, our wonderful companies who, who we've worked with um, many for, you know, decades longer than, you know, I've, be, I've been here really. And they, they always send a rep over uh, who we have a great relationship with. And it's such an informal kind of thing where you can come and you, you, you can try just the stuff you want to try or you can chat to the reps and they will talk you through exactly what they've got. And, you know, if, if ever you've always wanted to try something different but never really been able to do ideal it's, chance it's it is it is i mean you know yourself it's, it's they're, they're brilliant they are i have to i can second that i've been going for years and it is fascinating you don't have to be a, a wine snob uh, i'm not at all and i'm always learning new bits every time i go i try something new and i learn something new which is great you always see people everyone from i've got good friends who come with a very targeted list of exactly what they're going to taste uh, and then we come along with my better half and I, and we are much more, not scattergun, we try and have uh, half the night on some white wines and half the night on some red wines. And frankly, it's up to you how you divide your evening up. But, but as you say, it's a great chance to try things that otherwise you might never have tried before. They might be more expensive than you might go for. They might just be very different to something you might go for. There's always something very different. The last time I think there were some English wines there, weren't there? And yeah. I think so a Georgian wine, which is, yeah, yeah, some really different things, which, as you say, a little bit off the map for a lot of people. So it's a great chance to try them out and find out more about them. Absolutely. And um, th there's always a great little incentive with the, 
with, with coming to the tastings as well. So um, not only have you got that opportunity to speak to, you know, a, a fair amount of people who are in the industry um, and really know their stuff, um, but also, you know, it's coming up to that festive time of the year, really, as much as it pains me to say that in September. Um, so we always have loads of absolutely brilliant offers on on the night. Um, and as an extra little incentive, you know, if, if you order a case of, well, between six and 12 wines on the night or six and 11 wines on the night, you'll get um, £10 of your ticket price back off your bill. Uh, if you order 12 bottles mixed or and you know it can be mixed between any of the offers on the night kind of thing or that kind of stuff uh, you'll get the full ticket price refunded as well so you know it, it's we all know it's pretty tough at the moment mm. um, but that that shouldn't be any reason for us to not be able to enjoy ourselves and I you know for as long as I've worked here and put together these tastings and stuff like that I've always found they're really well received and they can break down a lot of stereotypes for people as well. And I think the thing is, isn't it, is it, don't think it's going to be full of wine snobs. It isn't. It's open to anyone, whether you are an experienced wine drinker or just like to find out a little bit more about wine or perhaps find and try a different wine. It's an ideal opportunity to do that. But you do need to book, so in order to do that... Uh, in order to do that, you can either give us a call here at the shop, um, so six double one seven nine three. Or pop into the shop, even better. Um, you can you can see our sort of outlay of the place. Um, the other thing that we finally got around to doing during these um, dreaded lockdowns was setting up the online shop. So you can actually book your tickets for the wine cellar and pay for them on the interweb. Um, so thewinecellar.im for that one. Or, of course, email. So sales at thewinecellar.im. You can get hold of, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll get you sorted. Excellent. There we go. What more incentive do you need? We'll talk more next time on another wine-based topic. I don't know what it is, but for now, I will just say, yeah, great talking to you and uh, good health.